Hello and welcome to the OneFootball Premier League end of season podcast. Manchester City take the title on a dramatic final day. Conte and Spurs claim fourth spot. It's heartbreak for Burnley at the bottom, plus much more. As today, joining myself, Matt Froelich, are Lewis Ambrose. Hello. And Podrick Whelan. Hello. Well, a stunning final day, which I've only just recovered from. And boys, we were talking about earlier some things we've missed from the final day that may have gone a bit unnoticed. And Mike Dean bowed out with no cards in Chelsea's victory over Watford. Are you happy or sad to see him go, Lewis? I do not mind that I don't ever have to see my team for a Premier League game again. It's perfectly fine with me. I, I feel like it's a bit harsh to say that I'm happy to see him go, but, but I'm definitely not sad that I won't have to watch him referee in a Premier League game again. You know, I, I just saw a line, it was really funny, is that uh, it was also John Moss's final game. And uh, Kasper Schmeichel and Jamie Vardy presented him with a signed Leicester shirt that said, thank you for retiring, Mossy. (laughs) (laughs) That's quite good. (laughs) (laughs) I've seen this thing as well that he's got like uh, his name on his boots or something like that. He's quite, basically, John Moss is a big fan of John Moss. Was that John Moss? Yeah, I do remember a referee doing it. I couldn't. Couldn't remember who it was, which is not obviously what he was it's trying to do. It's not about you, ref. There's yeah, a, there's that's literally. There's one linesman in the ref, in the Premier League who has a very pl- footballer haircut, and every time I see him, I think to myself, like, <laughs> what barber is, is he stopped and asked like a Fulham right back a couple of years ago what barber he goes to, so he can go and get the same, you know, the sort of swept oh. over look that half. The yeah, of course. Have. There's, there's one Bundesliga referee, Harm Osmonds, who has the same sort of thing going on as well. It's like, no, you're, you're a referee, short back and sides, buzz yeah. cart, these are the only options. I feel like we're not far away from a ref either wearing some sort of fancy boots or even Pink worse, having, a, having his own celebration. Yeah. <laughs> like he gets a VAR call right and he just like does a little dance and that's the end of it. The Robbie, the Robbie Keane. <laughs> yeah. Instead of yeah. flags for instead of gun fingers, he does the gun fingers to point to the penalty spot. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I like this. <laughs> no, Spring when the rest got a celebration, it's over. <laughs> it's over. Right on to the football though, and the players, uh, the people on the pitch that do matter. Uh, the players. The final day was stunning. Uh, we'll basically we'll go through. As it's the end of the season, we'll go through um, each team in the Premier League and sort of pick out the interesting points, either from the final day or how their season has done. And we'll do a bit of a higher or lower with many of the teams as well. Um, but we'll start, obviously, with the title race with Manchester City. Um, Lewis, they finished top after the comeback victory versus Aston Villa. Did you feel, I must admit like I did, that even at 2-0 to Villa, it was never going to be over just like that? No, it was never. It was definitely never going to be over just like that. There was quite a, you know, the biggest shame of this final day was was that Liverpool only went in the lead after City's comeback. Like I feel like that would have added that little bit extra if because like Liverpool were never top during the day. Which by the way, I also saw a video on on Sunday evening. Uh, someone outside the ground filming Man City fans leaving like, you were always top of the league it's the final day of the season and you were never not going to win the league at any point if the final whistle had gone City were going to lift the trophy and there were people leaving because they were 2-0 down which is just absolutely mental it did feel like some fans actually didn't know like some City fan, or I don't know it felt like some people thought oh not Liverpool are going to win the league if it stays oh, like this but which was like you said weird yeah like it was definitely never going to be over, was it? Even when Villa scored the second one, you knew that City were going to rally. There was still enough time, still, what, half an hour to go? 
Mm. You knew that they were going to have the chances. Whether or not they took them was going to be the question, I guess. But you knew that they were going to batter that door down and, and Villa were going to have to answer a lot of questions, which obviously we know they didn't come up with the answers for very long. I feel like this this literally typified Manchester City's season that they were bailed out on the last day, a season during which they haven't had a recognised striker by a midfielder and a defensive midfielder. That just... Oh, their top scorer last season as well, Gundogan, with, yeah. with 13. And then he's, just, but he's not played that much this year, but he just has this knack of getting in the box and arriving right yeah. where the ball's going to drop. It's brilliant. He's intelligent for sure. Uh, Podrig, was this Man City's most difficult ever title victory? I know they were pushed all the way in the same sort of way a few years ago by Liverpool, but was this different? Yeah, I think that one probably was more difficult because... I think Liverpool and City both got more points this season. I think Liverpool lost that season, lost out in the title by losing only one game and ended up with 97 points. So, I mean, for a City team, for any team to beat a team to a title that's got 97 points is just, that's ridiculous. I think that, I'd I'd think you'd be hard-pushed to ever find a title, probably anywhere, that it was harder for a team to get over the line than that one. But then the way that they did this one, Obviously, um, it wasn't easy all season, but particularly on the last day, uh, yeah, kind of shades of twenty twelve all over again and Aguero. But like Lewis said, I think you always kind of felt that that was in them on Sunday, and um, that they were always going to kind of find a way. And if they got one, then you could see the big comeback happening. I mean, it would have been probably for drama. It would have been quite nice if Gundogan hadn't scored the third goal. And uh, <laughs> you know, you had it at two each, but they were really on ten or and then finding out. That Liverpool had scored, yeah, probably would have. It was just like Lewis says, the one bit of drama we were missing. But a, a difficult one, but not not the most difficult, I don't think. You mentioned it there, finding out about the other team scoring. Um, Lewis, do you think it affects the players on the pitch having known sort of what the city score is, or even at half time are they discussing it? Because we were talking about the picture where Salah celebrated scoring for Liverpool and some bloke in the in the crowd as. Told him with his fingers that City are actually 3-2 up and he looks devastated. And, uh, yeah, but I think it's one of those things when it can have a positive effect or a negative effect. Like For City in particular, City just knew they had to win and the title was theirs. So I don't think there was too much of a, of a worry. And then you see Liverpool, by the time Liverpool got ahead, they knew City were ahead and then they score another goal. So I, I don't know. I think it is one of those things, obviously, sometimes the nerves, the pressure could be added and, and it gets to a player or players or a team. But on the other hand, sometimes that little kick up the backside that you need to maybe go that extra yard and, and get on the end of something, it can work both ways. And I mean, it was nice to see, you know, after we've watched a few years of these teams be basically perfect now, it was nice to see them look fallible for for quite a lot of this last day of the season but at the end of it obviously the the quality came through and under massive massive pressure i think you can you can only take your hat off to both of them getting over the line coming from behind and winning both of them uh, both of their games knowing what was on the line because you know lesser teams and that's why they're the top two it's one of many reasons that they're the top two lesser teams would have crumbled at one nil or two nil down and neither of them did I feel like there is a special place in hell reserved for that Liverpool fan that started the rumour that Coutinho got a third (laughs) (laughs) got an equaliser he wasn't even on the pitch at that point I was watching it on TV and they were cheering and I was thinking surely not 
and yeah, some... Van Dijk looked furious. Yeah. He found out about it on the bench and learned that it was actually a joke at four... Oh, if looks could kill. Yeah. Oh my word! You just you'd be absolutely furious. You would. I don't. I don't blame him one second, one bit. Uh, Podrick, Liverpool could pick up a seventh European title on Saturday against Real Madrid. I'm pretty sure most Liverpool fans would cash in that Premier League. Uh, Man City winning it if it meant they win their Champions League, right? Oof, I don't know. There was a certain woman in Liverpool that didn't cash out uh, when she should have. Oh, I saw I that. That story about yeah. the, the women who placed the hundred pound bet on uh, Liverpool to win the quadruple, and then was offered, I think, a thirty five thousand pound cash out on the day. Didn't take it. So she she probably would, <laughs> but I'm not sure Liverpool fans would. You know, I think they've been good enough this season, clearly to to win all four of them. I think a lot of them really probably did think that they were going to do it, and if you look at the margins that they've lost by, like. But for Gundogan really coming up for City in the end um, of that one, then they could be going into Saturday night with, with all three in their back. But, I mean, I don't know if they would take it. I, really, I, th- I don't think football is funny like that, where you can't say that you would take one over the other. I mean, like you mm. don't get offered that. But, I mean, it certainly it would soften the blow, I think, a lot um, if they do win on Saturday night, for sure. And despite what Klopp says, I would think you would make them big favourites as well. Although... Tiago, obviously, if he's out, Fabinho as well. That could be that could be quite a mess in midfield. I think if there's if there's one team in England where the fan base values the Champions League more yeah. than the Premier League, it is Liverpool. Uh, I, I was think thinking that. Yeah. Basically, everybody else, right? Like, I'm an Arsenal fan. Matt, you're a Spurs fan. I think United fans and City fans as well. Chelsea fans. I think basically all of us would go for a league title over the Champions League. If you just if it was a coin toss and it was really one or the other, I think Liverpool the other way because of their history in Europe. That I think most of them would take the Champions League over the league title every time. Do you, don't you think that the Premier League kind of uh, casts a bit more dominance though over like a glorious era? Like if Liverpool were to go on winning trophies, domestic trophies or Champions League trophies for the next couple of years, but only had one Premier League title, would it sort of I don't know, soften their legacy somewhat? I think you've seen people saying it already, haven't you? But like, I see an article last week at the Telegraph, and they tried to say Klopp's Liverpool's greatest ever manager, which I think is a bit of an insult um, <laughs> at this point. You know, I feel like <laughs> yeah. he could become it, but I think it's that's a little bit over the top um, right now. But still, you look at that and you think, well, if he wins the Champions League, it's three finals in four years, it's two Champions League titles, and it does look a bit funny to see you know three Champions League finals in four years, but just just in inverted commas obviously just one league title so mm. I think it will be it, it will be something that people you know a stick that people beat them with if they don't win another one over the next couple of years and then and then fade off maybe they haven't got the money of United and the money of City if they did fall away and, and this team this era ended with one Premier League title I do think 10 years from now people will say that was a bit of a lost opportunity but when the other team that you're competing against is getting 100 points and 98 points and over 90 points again this season there's not much you can do about it yeah that's what I was going to say it's, it's very unfortunate for City and Liverpool that they're having to fight each other because any other era they'd completely dominate they'd wipe Which the floor with everyone though, eh? at least they had at least we've got the two of them yeah you're right I imagine if City or Liverpool existed I don't know in an era that wasn't 
so wasn't so many good teams. At least we've got the two of them, I guess. But neither of them are invincible, are they, Lewis? You said that, man, not me. <laughs> I felt like it might have been burning in your brain to say it, so I've said it for you. I've taken the hit. I've taken the hit. Um, was it the greatest final day in Premier League history, Podrick? Um, yeah, I think I think you could probably make a really strong case for it just because you had the title race went down to it. You had, uh, I mean, a little less so the top four. You kind of knew it was going to happen mm. there, but there was still a chance. Um, you had the Man United West Ham going for the the last European places and then obviously you had the relegation which was quite exciting so there was stuff to play for I think of the 10 games on Sunday there was two I think that there was nothing that didn't bear any outcome on anything that happened so I think for that it's probably a good case to be made and then when you add in the drama of the, the two games going the way that they did at the top uh, the Leeds-Brentford game got a bit crazy towards the end and then them staying up as well so I'd be hard pushed to name one, I think, off the top of my head for sure that was better than it. I think it was the the first time that the title top four European places and relegation hadn't all been sorted by the final day. Yeah. I believe so. But then so, 2012 so. did have Aguero, which was probably the greatest Aguero, one. yeah. So, I don't know. Choose your fighter. I was busy watching Andre Santos score at West Brom to get Arsenal into the Champions League, I'm afraid, that day. <laughs> was that that day? Cooper scored five. Yeah, was that day. Oh, my God. Stunning. Not quite the same, but still, a good memory nonetheless. Um, we'll move into third place in a team that did have Champions League wrapped up, and that is Chelsea. Uh, they've looked a shadow of the team they, they were um, winning the Champions League this time last year. They have made two domestic finals, though, despite the fact they lost both of them. Is it more a case of the top two being so good, like we've said, Lewis, rather than Chelsea having fallen off? I think Chelsea. I think there's a problem sometimes with a team that's working but not necessarily perfect. Like Tuchel had them at the back end of last season. It's like this season they wanted to play better football and attack more, and they were very defensive under Tuchel. I thought when he came in last year, and it worked. It obviously got them to the Champions League, and it got them um, in the in top four as well. But this year, I think there was obviously an effort to become a little bit more of an attacking side but that balance wasn't quite right they signed the missing piece of the puzzle with Lukaku then realised that they'd bought a different puzzle um, <laughs> yeah it was it was a weird season I think obviously you got the Abramovich stuff as well on the face of it all I think when they signed Lukaku and the way they started the season everyone thought they were title contenders and they were still I think they were top of the league after 13 or 14 games I think the way they've dropped off and they've ended up going into May and you're wondering if Arsenal and Spurs could both catch them and they might drop to fifth. I think that's a real, real disappointment and I'm not sure. I mean, when they signed Lukaku back in August, everyone was saying, you know, we've got a three-way title race here. I'm not sure if there will be one next season, but if there is one, you'd probably have them still as the dark horses. So I think they've fallen off, but maybe not as far as as people might suspect. Well, Tuchel thinks there's going to be a five-team title race next season, so quite where he's getting that from. <laughs> Considering really? his team were so far... Yeah, yeah, he said after the Watford game, he said he thinks there could be up to five teams fighting it up for the title next season. I don't know what league he's talking about because I, yeah. I was just about to say which league is he talking about? Maybe Serie A again. 
and maybe all that excitement. I'm not sure, quite sure, if uh, if he does mean Arsenal and Spurs, that there'll be a five-way title race. But who knows? Stranger things have happened. Uh, talking of Spurs, though, comfortable 5-0 victory on the final day at a, a dismal Norwich, I've written here. Um, saw them into the Champions League. Podrick, are you surprised at just how quick Antonio Conte's managed to influence and turn this Spurs team around? Uh, pr- probably not. Like I don't think I would say so. But I mean, he, from where Spurs were to get into the Champions League, I think that's. I think that exceeded expectations. I don't think anybody at the club probably thought they were capable of that when he came in. But like this is just what he does wherever he goes. Like Juve, I mean, the Italian national team was in a bad, bad way um, when he took over. They like failed to uh, had got knocked out of the World Cup. Um, in the first round and that was kind of the start of the bad run um, in a lot of the major tournaments and then he got them to the quarterfinals at Euro 2016 they really should have uh, probably gone further in that they should have beat Germany in that game he's done it at Chelsea he did it at Inter like, to end you, you forget how dominant that Juventus were for like 10 years in Serie A um, before he came, came in and took the Inter job and then obviously they they ended uh Juve's chances of going for breaking their own record of consecutive titles like that, that was no mean feat and I know that they did spend and they backed them well with like Lukaku and, and Lotaro Martinez and he, he had good players but I mean he, he got the same at Spurs you know the players he wanted in January they brought them in and he just got the best out of them he, he does it wherever he goes and I just think the only thing that Spurs should really be worried about is that after the game he he wasn't um, wasn't exactly filling you with confidence that he'll be hanging about long term or maybe even next season which I thought was quite surprising but I mean we all know the kind of the character he is you, for all the improvements you know that he'll bring you on the field he, he's uh, he's fiery you know he, I mean this is a guy who loves Juventus and then walked out on them two days into pre-season or whatever it was so yeah he's unpredictable but uh, one of the best managers in the world that's for sure Um yeah, so we'll see. We'll see how it goes. I suppose next season, Matt. And Lewis, can you explain how Youngman's son wasn't even nominated for Premier League Player of the Year, or is it a completely fair shout in your opinion? Nah, I think he's brilliant, isn't it? Like uh, that, that's nonsense, basically. Um, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I'm glad you know, agree. I, I've, I've said on this, I've like I've said that on this podcast going back years now that as a, you know, as an Arsenal fan, you, know, you play the derby or you stick on a Spurs game hoping that they don't score when they go through on goal um, at the weekend and I've yeah for, for years now said that Son's the one that scares me when he gets the ball when I'm watching you know a North London derby more than Harry Kane Son's the one who you think can, can really turn a game on its head for me in an instant it's the ability to go on both feet just as good as the other and you know, turn a player inside out. He's strong. He can beat someone for pace. The close control. He's really got everything. And I find it very, very surprising that over the past, this isn't like this year. He's obviously got the golden boot this year, but this has mm. been like four years now, four or five years maybe, where he's been absolutely spectacular. After that first year at Spurs was quite slow, and I'm surprised that you know Harry Kane's been linked with. God knows who over the years, and obviously City went in strong for him last year. Son could play for any team on the planet, and has never really seriously been linked with a move away. And I find that very, very strange. Yeah, that is my my mate makes the exact same point all the time. There are so many players linked with. I mean, uh, we say linked. We're talking, you know, sometimes about transfer rumors in the newspaper, or what have you. 
There are so many links with every team under the sun, especially the ones with the big money, you know, the Real Madrid's and the PSG's of this world, and nothing ever about Son. I mean, I'm not complaining, don't get me wrong, but it is a bit, <laughs> it, it, it is a little bit odd how you don't really sort of see any team go, you know what, we can't afford to sign Harry Kane or Mbappe and Neymar are going to cost too much. Um, what about Kyungmin Son? Right, like I, I don't think there's any way that Tottenham sell him, and I think no, I don't think so either. The, the, like the collateral damage as well. Like if Tottenham went and sold Son for any price now, then Conte would definitely just walk out immediately. Um, so it would be madness to sell him. But I also think that Real Madrid, like for example, have just missed out on Kylian Mbappe. Human Son is so much the obvious answer for who they should be making their number one target. Um, mm. And I somehow don't think we'll even see them go for him. Like, not even try, not even see, test the water and, and try and get a deal done, which is, yeah, very, very surprising. So, Spurs finishing in fourth ahead of Arsenal, although they did finish with a 5 1 victory against Everton. Uh, it brightens the mood a little bit, and I thought Odegaard's goal was fantastic. Lewis, I've delved into your Twitter um, to get this latest oh, statement. Sorry about that. About uh, from Arsenal, youngest team in the league after two horrible seasons back in Europe and played the nicest football we've played in ages. Lots to be optimistic about. So, how far does your optimism reach in terms of next season? At least until August. (laughs) (laughs) Until another ball is kicked. (laughs) Yeah, um, I'll beat the Emirates on the opening day of the season. We'll probably be playing away. That'll be the first cock-up of the new year. (laughs) 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 I'll be there telling all my mates that we're going to win the league. Um, And (laughs) that'll probably last about 10 minutes. Now, I think, you know, like it's horrible. You can't... Obviously, you look at the league table and you finish fifth. And that's what everybody sees. But Arsenal this season got more points than Chelsea last season, who finished third. And that's the problem with... You know, people just see fifth and, oh, well, fourth is good, fifth is bad. I don't think anyone at the start of the year had Arsenal to finish anywhere near the top four after the way last season was. I just remember a lot of criticism for the transfer window, the money spent on Ramsdale, the money spent on Ben White. And, yeah, Bakayo Saka has kicked on. Martin Odegaard's been... I mean, Bakayo Saka's the, the fan favourite and the local boy and stuff. I don't think it would be too controversial if people wanted to say that Martin Odegaard is actually Arsenal's best player or player of the season. And Smith Rowe and Martinelli there as well. You've got you, Arsenal are a striker away. A striker away from being a team that will be there. Like, you know, that, that gap to City and Liverpool is massive and it's massive for everyone. But Arsenal are one striker away from being there with, with Chelsea and Spurs for really arguing about who's the third best team in the league, I think. Um, obviously I'm a bit biased so maybe you two have different opinions on that but to finish fifth to finish one win away from or you know or a draw if it was the North London Derby the other week away from being in the top four at the end of the season nobody called that at the start of the season nobody called it after the team had lost the first three games of the year and and convincingly lost all of them as well been completely outplayed so as far as I'm concerned after what's been a really miserable few years as an Arsenal fan like hats off to Mikel Arteta and hats off to the team and you've got to think that next year will only be that little bit better at least even if it's not loads better Do you think there's a big signing incoming in terms of money wise because I know Arsenal Odegaard was about 40 odd if I believe it was about 40 odd million 
bit less than that, uh, I think. But yeah. A li- little bit less. Obviously, Nicola Pepe, 72 million, but I believe that was structured over quite a few years, so it wasn't all all in one. Can you see Arsenal making a massive signing, or is there going to be sort of smaller signings to, uh, to, to add into the squad? Well, I think there'll be a couple of reasonable, let's say a couple of Odegaards more than yeah. Pepe. And I also think, like, you've just made a great point by bringing those two up anyway. You do not get what you pay for in football. You can pay £72 million and then two years later you're sitting there thinking, how are we going to get rid of this guy and get as much of our money back as possible? Or you can spend about £30 million and be sitting here saying, this guy is absolutely fantastic. So, you know, mm. you, you bang, talk about bang for your buck and that's where a lot of teams fall down, spend too much money on, on players who've maybe, maybe had one great season and there's a whole bunch of factors you know coming into a new league and, and not adapting properly and things like that I think Pepe is such a great example Arsenal do not need to spend 70 million it's no guarantee of getting a good player or getting a player that really pushes you onto the next level Saka's come out of the academy Erdegaard was on loan last season and has, has joined because Real Madrid were looking to shift players and, and get them off their wage bill so I think that it's just a really good lesson for Arsenal to not repeat the same Pepe mistake again because Arsenal aren't Man City and Man United with the money that those two clubs have. Those two clubs could spend 70 million, 80 million on someone and if it doesn't work out, they'll just go spend 70 or 80 million on someone else. Arsenal <laughs> don't have the unlimited funds to swallow a signing that doesn't work out at that price. You just get stuck with a player. So, you know, 70 million pounds that can't go and improve the squad somewhere else. So it's. It's a matter of spending the money intelligently, I think, and I think we won't see a, a 70 million sign-in. We might see a couple of 30, 35, 40 million sign-ins with a similar amount of total spend instead, and I think that's the right way to go. Um, as for Manchester United that you mentioned, they finished in sixth, not of their own doing though, because both they and West Ham lost on the final day. Uh, I'm not sure any teams, any sorry, any teams fans outside of the relegation zone will be as happy to see the back of this season as United fans. Uh, Podrick, did you envision things going this poorly when they sacked Ole Gunnar Solskjaer and bought in Ranić? No, definitely not. I mean, I think the last like six months at Man United have just been. Just like a real forgotten time. Like, just they've just been so lethargic. The the Rangnick. I mean, the reasons that he was kind of brought in, and I know the style of football, and he's talked about it. It's, it's quite a hard thing to implement straight away. But to get nothing like what we were expecting from one of his teams to play was quite damning. And I think it's like telling that I think in the last few days he's kind of talked a little more about what's kind of went wrong and kind of spoke about how it was a, obviously as I said it was difficult to implement that but that he kind of feels that as soon as they get knocked out of the Champions League that pretty much a lot of the players kind of chucked it anyway and weren't too bothered about the rest of the Premier League season um, I mean I don't know they were pretty poor before that like there was there was no real stretch whatsoever under him when he took over that they really impressed you or that he kind of improved any individual players. As I said, it just the season just limped towards the end, and I think it summed the whole thing up that to get into Europe on the last day they've qualified, uh, or get into the Europa League. Sorry, they've qualified on the back of uh, Brighton doing them a favour against West Ham because they've lost at Crystal Palace. It's just perfect way for their season to end. Zero goal difference, by the way. Yeah. 
that that's shocking, isn't it? There was a whole host of records. I think it was fewest wins, uh, so first fewest time without a plus. As well. yeah, yeah, fewest points. This oh, is. Yeah. I I feel like you're always going to struggle when you bring in an interim manager for about seven months of a season. Like you bring him in for eight to ten games, maybe, but not for like twenty odd. That's mental. Not for Ollie. But I mean, they had signed well in the summer. That's what I think was was the crazy. I thought like Varane and Sancho were two mm. signings, and yeah, for the season to go the way it did, my God, just forget all about it and move on. Yeah, well, Ten Hag's got quite the job on his hands. He uh, he was pictured, I think, shaking his head in the uh, in the stadium against Crystal Palace, and I'm thinking, if you're shaking your head already, and you haven't even officially started your first day on the job. So I'm not quite sure what he's going to be expecting. Is his neck's going to fall off by the middle of July during pre-season? <laughs> but uh, <laughs> we'll have to see if he can turn that ship around. But like you said, they finished sixth. West Ham losing to Brighton to finish in the Conference League positions. Um, I would have said that would be quite a good trade-off, finishing seventh but making it to the Europa League final. But they did not make it. Frankfurt beat them. Um, it's not a bad season considering they've still got European football and uh, Jared Bowen in particular was brilliant for them. Do you see him becoming the key figure from next season if Rice leaves, Lewis? Or do you think Bowen's going to jump ship as well? I don't think anyone will be able to afford him. I think Jared Bowen's in, I think I said it last time I was on the podcast, like in the Zahar zone. Of mm, yeah, you did, yeah. more valuable to West Ham now than he would be to anyone else. Like he's not so good that like a city are going to spend a, a Grealish like 100 million on him but also he's so good for West Ham and so important to West Ham that I think they would demand a fee like that so he's sort of in this weird middle ground where where I don't you know I don't see where the money's going to come from for anyone you know maybe maybe Real Madrid fancy him I don't know um, <laughs> and Rice do you think Rice stays as well in the same position, I think West Ham. I think West Ham would do everything they can to keep. He's got two years left, so they don't have to sell him this summer. And I think being in Europe again, I reckon West Ham will sell him only if like a bid of a hundred million comes in, and I think they'll reject anything else. And um, again, like it's a fantastic season. I think finishing West Ham two and a half years ago when David Moyes arrived looked like they were going to get relegated, and now they're going for a second consecutive season in Europe, having made a European semi-final. I, that is. Like we're not talk, you know, we've talked about the, the the last six teams we've talked about, the six who finished above them are like the big six, as, as everyone mm. loves to refer to them. And then you've got Leicester and then you've got Brighton, I guess Wolves. Well, Leicester and Wolves in particular, the last few years have flirted around their Villa last season. Like that, there's like a little league table of its own. You'd put Everton there usually probably as well. And West Ham were probably not in that league table, that that sort of just below the top six mini league table, and less you know Leicester have gate crushed that particular party anyway the last few years. So for West Ham to have sort of leapfrogged Leicester, and we're talking about seventh as like a pretty good season, I think it's just an incredible job that David Moyes has done. I think he's done. Yeah, you're. Right. I think he's done a fantastic job, and I know it's very cliche to say, but if he hadn't already had that United job on his CV, I reckon he'd be getting looked at for quite a higher up job but right now. So, but he does. Yeah, I, I, always get that black mark against. Him. Yeah, that's the thing. It's always going to be held against him. Maybe it's a good thing for West Ham. I think it's probably the same with with Wilfred Zaha as well. That sort of 
didn't work out and Manchester United might might be held against him when it comes to a big club signing him. Yeah. Anyway, we'll move on for the top seven and uh we're gonna do a bit of a a bit of a game for you guys. Higher or lower. So we'll we'll go through the rest of the table from eighth down to sixteenth before we get into the, the relegation stuff on the final day. And you've just got to tell me whether you think they'll finish higher or lower next season. Uh we'll start with Podrig and one of the one of the men who isn't your favourite in the footballing world, Brendan Rodgers, and his Leicester side in eighth. Do you think higher or lower next season? Lower. <laughs> no, definitely lower. I'm actually surprised that Leicester finished eighth, to be honest. That's higher than I thought when you think of their season. So, yeah, definitely lower. You're going lower. Okay, we'll, we'll switch to Lewis for Brighton in ninth. Unbelievable season. Their best ever, 51 points. L- lower, but... With the caveat that I don't think that's a bad thing. Like I just cannot imagine Brighton basically having a better season than finishing ninth. So, like massive round of applause to Brighton and Graham Potter, but lower. Okay, Podrick Wolves in tenth. Right, there's a theme creeping in, but I just don't think like <laughs> Neves. I think there'll be a few big players will go this summer from Wolves. Yeah. Um, and I think that will hurt them. So I'll say lower. If we say everybody lower, who's going to finish higher? Someone needs to finish in these spots. There might be a higher coming in. Yeah, Yeah, 11th, Newcastle, Lewis. Higher. Higher, there we go. Their turnaround. We found the team that's going to leapfrog every single one of the teams (laughs) that we just said are going to finish lower next season. So we've got. It's just got Newcastle causing the domino effect. Yeah, we're, we're, we're positioning Newcastle in eighth right now. I've got to say, Eddie Howe, I was a little bit sceptical. I didn't quite think he'd managed a team that size with that sort of budget before, considering after 20 games they were 19th and they won 12 out of their final 18. And pulling off the masterstroke of putting Joel Linton in centre midfield. Yeah, uh, yeah honestly, I'll, I'll give my props to Eddie Howe. Uh, Podrig and Crystal Palace. Uh, higher. If only just because uh, not everybody can finish lower. I guess yeah. no, they they've been really good. Uh, Vieira, that's one of the you talk about like big surprises like Joe Ellington turning out to be mm. an incredible midfielder. But uh, Patrick Vieira, I don't think anybody uh, thought he would do this well. I mean, just his coaching CV in the past uh, didn't really suggest that. Uh, thought it was going to be a big gamble. That's for sure. Mm. And, uh, it's really yeah, and that's without a lot of their. their bigger players kind of playing well a lot of the time um, so yeah massive massive hats off to them they'll only get better higher uh, Lewis Brentford in 13th lower that poor poor second season syndrome and after the way he's played since since was it March when he came into the side I don't know if Christian Eriksen will stick around or if he'll get much more attractive offers from somewhere else so yeah I yeah I I'd, I'd like to see him stay at Brentford um, and I think if he does then they've still got the remains of, of a really good side I don't think they'll really be selling anybody else I think the biggest problem for Brentford was that when he did come into the side they'd been on quite a poor run and he sort of his return to football and, and coming into them seemed to revitalise the entire club and I fear for them if they don't have him next season uh, even if they do have him the second season syndrome tends to strike, but without him, if you worry for Brentford, I think you have to worry for them. So you're going to go lower. You think you're going to do a bit of a lead? 
a little bit of a Leeds, yeah. Yeah. Okay, Aston Villa, Padraig. Uh, I think that will be higher because I mean I don't rate Gerard to be honest all that highly as a manager, but they're going to spend. I mean they already have. They've just signed uh, Bubakar Kamara, which looks like it's going to be an unbelievable signing. Um, and you'd imagine more will follow. I mean, it's the last year or so they've not been shy of getting the checkbook out. So, I mean, Aston Villa not only higher but fourteenth. I mean, they sh- I think they'll be disappointed if they're outside the top half next season. So, they really, whether they do or not, but they they certainly should be. Um, I would say considerably higher next season. I think they're probably one transfer window, one big transfer window, and another poor season away from sort of emulating Everton. I mean, didn't Villa spend a hundred million last summer? Yeah, but they also made a hundred million last summer. Yeah, I know, but even come easy go. (laughs) Even so, I think Villa spent an enormous amount of money to finish fourteenth. And I know Gerard, you know, coming in midway through the season, this, that, and the other. I don't know. I think it's a big summer form. They've got to get it right. But like you said, that Kamara sign looks a pretty good one. Um, Southampton, this, by the way, an unbelievable stat. This is the third time in the last five years they failed to win double figures in games. Just nine wins all season. I think lower. I think this might be it for Southampton. But I I think this is a really tricky one because... If Southampton continue the way they've been going, then I think it might be it. I think there's not much of a squad there. There's not much of a quality team there. You look around the rest of the Premier League and every single team at least has a couple of players that you could feel could basically play it for anyone. Mm. Um, and Southampton are the ones that don't. But this is their first summer with new ownership. So we don't really know how that's going to go just yet. If the owners are smart and you know go back to £72 million on a player who doesn't work out or a couple of... <laughs> three £25 million signings for the same amount of money who can improve you in three different positions. Like, If they're smart and they do good business, then you can see Southampton doing well next season. If they're not, then I have big, big worries for them. Okay, next up for Everton. Podrig, what do you think? Higher or lower than 16th? I mean, it's, it's got to be higher. I mean, they can't go any lower without... <laughs> Well, they could go well, they one can. place lower without being in big, big trouble. Uh, yeah, that just can't happen again. But Did I would also say that I predicted Everton to finish uh, in the European places this season. <laughs> only because I thought Rafa would either go one of two ways. It would either be an absolute rip-roaring success against all the odds or it would go the way it did. I wanted to be optimistic for Everton. So, yeah, maybe Everton fans shouldn't, um, shouldn't take what I say. <laughs> Too seriously. Do they uh, do they stick with Lampard? In your opinion, is that a good choice? I mean, they've got to now, don't they? So uh, I'm not sure. A bit. I, I don't want to say it because you, they kind of get lumped together for their whole career, and then I'm kind of doing it the same here. But it's kind of similar to Gerard, isn't it? Not been like overly impressed. Can Can Lampard and Gerard <laughs> coach in the same? City? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Wait till they're coaching in the same city when Klopp leaves. Just yeah, Lampard yeah. just really needs to stick around for quite a long time, though, <laughs> I guess, for that to happen. So, yeah, he, he's he's sticking around. I mean, they've, they've got no option, do they? And maybe he can uh, put it wrong. Let's see. They've got no option because obviously he kept them up, but he sort of took them into that panic as well. Uh, if it was up to me, which is not, so my opinions are relevant. Uh, I haven't seen enough convincing football 
or tactical sort of style to even trust Lampard with a big war chest, they love to call it, uh, a big transfer window, big signings. It doesn't even look like, I know they've stayed up, but they're going in the right direction. What do you think, Lewis? I think Everton and, and Villa will be fine. They just need they just need Michael Carrick somewhere in behind them. Don't Michael, <laughs> Michael, Michael, Michael Carrick in at Southampton. Just yeah. I don't know why they never played them in a three. I'm still not over it. <laughs> <laughs> I was I was struggling for the reference there, but I've just got it now. And maybe it makes sense. Maybe <laughs> just maybe. Does. Michael Carrick unbeaten as a Premier League manager, is he not? So. <laughs> <laughs> How many games is it? Uh, two. two. And a European two. game. And a European game. Two, but against Chelsea and Arsenal, I believe. Impressive. Well, Sam Allardyce has a 100% record as England manager, but, you know. Yeah, but oh. uh, what was it, Slovakia in the last minute? <laughs> yeah, I think so. I think People it was that one that game. That goal came very late. <laughs> <laughs> Oh dear. Uh, right, well, after Everton in 16th, we head to Leeds in 17th, and this is where the final day was also extraordinarily interesting. They needed to better Burnley's result and did it with a 2-1 victory at Brentford. They become the first side since Wigan in 2011 to survive after starting the final day in the bottom three. The wise move here, Lewis, is surely to sell Rafinha, maybe even Calvin Phillips, and invest in some proper... Goddamn defenders. Because conceding 79 goals, the second most in the league, is is ridiculous, for want of a better word. By the way, just very quickly, Wigan in 2011, I cannot yeah, believe that's it. 11 years since someone escaped the, the bottom three on the final day of the season. That surprised me a lot as well, yeah. yeah. a very, very Proper long stat. time. Um, it's been a weird season for Leeds, obviously, having a... Yeah, Bielsa's gone. There's a lot of injuries. I thought Patrick Bamford was superb last season in the in their first year after they'd come up. Yeah. Um, and then they played a lot of the season without him. They played a lot of the season without Calvin Phillips. I imagine now they'd get probably half the money they'd have got from someone if they'd have sold Calvin Phillips last season. They were a lot better when Liam Cooper was available at the back. And if he can stay fit, then you worry a little bit less. You worry a lot more because of Jesse Marsh and his gung ho style and. The way you know it, it, it got him sacked at Leipzig uh, earlier in the season with a hell of a lot more talented, or at least in comparison to the league, more talented players in every area of the pitch than, than Leeds. So I don't see defenders alone <laughs> fixing the fixing that back line. Rafinha, I find a really tricky one. Uh, by far their best player this season, top goal scorer, I think eleven in the Premier League. If if Bamford's not fit. I think Leeds have got to demand an absolutely enormous amount of money for Rafinha if there's not a release clause there. I think they've got to do everything they can to keep him personally because he kept them up. And mm. I think goals will keep you up more often than clean sheets. And Rafinha is the only player there that I see scoring and creating chances regularly. So I think, you know... It, it sounds nice selling him for big money and investing in defence, but then I think 12 months from now we'll be talking about Leeds getting relegated because they had no one to score or create anything. So it's, you know, it's the old uh, Rafa Benitez talking about his blanket not being big enough and either, either your neck's cold or your toes are cold. You know. <laughs> what was that? 
there's like a Rafa Benitez did this great analogy a couple of years ago he's like as a manager he's like either you're too defensive or you're too attacking like he's finding that balance and I think it's a it's like an idiom in, in Spanish and Portuguese saying like that your blanket's not big enough <laughs> so you get either you get cold at your head or you get cold at your feet because the blanket's not big enough I thought it was a really nice way of describing just what it's like to be, actually, a football, to be a yeah. football manager yeah, and Raf- yeah Rafinha's keeping Leeds toes warm at the moment um, but and, if they, and if they sell him and sign a couple of defenders I think yeah they, they'll be nice and cosy up top um, well, I've gone the wrong way around with that <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but you know they'll be nice and cosy I love that. at one end uh, but at the other end uh, freezing I love it that's brilliant um but of course, them finishing 17th meant that Burnley were the ones to experience the heartache and get relegated after two defeat to Newcastle. I've picked out three star players here um, from this Burnley squad. And who do you think will be in the most demand, Podry? You've got Nick Pope, Maxwell Cornet and Dwight McNeil. I think they'll all be in demand and I think they'll all go. Um, I think Tarkovsky's going to... I mean, this will be the summer as well. I think Everton, Leicester, a few other teams... Um, already getting linked to him, so I mean, yeah, they'll all they'll all be in demand. But the one, the one that I think I, I mean, I guess it depends what position you want to fill. But McNeil is he's like definitely my favourite out of the three. He's the most exciting, I guess, just by virtue of the position he plays. You're never going to call Nick Pope an exciting player. Um, but McNeil, uh, McNeil is just he's a guy I've always I always really enjoyed watching. Um, terms of a fit for him I don't know that'll be quite interesting and, and there's, there is teams with like issues in that area that, that he could solve uh, uh, Burnley Burnley are weird aren't they because they play such a uniquely defensive mm-hmm. football in yeah. England but McNeil feels like a player that you could see playing in a team that like keeps possession yeah. and, and mm. more attacking too so that would be an interesting one definitely I, I know he's he's a quite a defensive player. Well, we've seen him play quite defensively for Burnley, but I honestly think McNeil would be all right at Spurs as a backup to Kulusevski, or even as a wing yeah, back. Yeah, I think. Yeah, that's what I mean. Like, I think he could go and play in one of the really in one of the better teams, and mm. like you know he's going to work hard as well. But I think he's got the ability to play in a team that that does have a bit more possession and and a bit more patience and not lumping the ball forward and looking for set pieces so much as Burnley do. So, yeah, so I, I mean, on top of this, I read that Cornet has a 17.5 million release clause, relegation release clause. Um, now they've gone down, which is less than they signed him for, I believe, from Leon. And they'll be um, for the money now because they'll, yeah. they'll have to repay the loan that was used, that was taken out for, for the club's takeover. So, yeah. Those three and Nathan Collins will be in demand after a really good. Um, really good spell so mm. yeah like Podrick said Tarkovsky I think is available now for a free on a free chance yeah he is up. so yeah long term it's when you put all of those players there and say Burnley probably won't have that much money to spend as well I it, it feels like a long long way back a long time before we'll see him in the Premier League again and talking of teams returning, we come to the bottom two, Watford and Norwich. Uh, usually teams go down with a bit of a fight. These two, on the other hand, a whimper. A whimper, if that. Um, who, if either of them, has the better chance of coming straight back up next season? Norwich, isn't it? Norwich are straight be... back up and straight back down. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and then rinse and repeat. <laughs> 
I was going to say, does does Norwich's coming straight back up d- depend on whether or not Bournemouth or Fulham go straight back down? Those they're intrinsically linked. You can't have any of them existing in the same. You can't have one without the other. (laughs) One of a friend of mine said recently that Norwich treat the Premier League like a hotel, and they they leave and they take the dressing gown and the nice soaps and stuff. (laughs) (laughs) Lovely parachute payments tucked under the arm, Uh, and then you know they'll be back for another go at it twelve months from now. Um, They're just there for the free breakfast. They're like a likable club, and I like Dean Smith. Uh, but yeah, uh, I don't know. I th- virtue of the money that they spend, I I would actually go for Watford being the more likely to to come straight back up next season. The thing is, the longer they do this, manager. <laughs> yeah, it's someone yeah. who has managed someone in Spain or who is it? I was yeah. <laughs> That's like every Watford promotion campaign ever. Yeah, exactly. They're going to fall further behind though if a lot of teams stay in the Premier League and continue to widen this gap to the quality of the top level I think they're going to struggle you might find more teams joining this this yo-yo crew of, of Watford, Norwich Bournemouth and Fulham at the minute I'm sure West Brom will be in there at some could, point Hudd- as well Huddersfield could be there this weekend Huddersfield yeah yeah I think it's it's something the Premier League and the Football League need to talk about because the, clearly the parachute payments are giving way too much of an advantage uh, in the Football League to the teams that come down and it's caused this yeah, it's almost second tier. Middlesbrough were right up there this season. Sheffield United were right Sheffield up there United, this season yeah. in the championship. There's, you've now got a tier in the championship of teams that have just been relegated and got a load of money because they've been relegated. And then it feels like everyone else in the championship has to have some sort of spectacular season like Luton this year to have any chance of going up. Nottingham Forest, the second half of the season, has been amazing. So it's something that long term, definitely, I think the Premier League has got to answer. Right, with the preview, sorry, the review even, of the Premier League done there, we'll, we'll move on to the final questions. And we were talking earlier about Human Son not being nominated for Player of the Year. I've got a few final season finishing questions for you two. Um, we'll start with the Player of the Year. So, Podrick, who's your Player of the Year in the Premier League? Uh, the, the best player, I think, overall, I'll say Mo Salah. It's hard to look past him, to be honest. Um, I know he gets this weird criticism about tailing off a little in uh, the second half of the season, which I think has been exaggerated somewhat. I think if, yeah, just purely and simply, if you're uh, the best player in the Premier League over the course of the season, uh, Sal. Lewis? I I would go for Salah as well. I think Podrick's right. I also think it's weird when people talk about tailing off. Like, Son would be another one who'd be right up there, but he just sort of had the opposite season he was like slow in the first half of the season and on fire in the second half of the season the last few months and for some reason that seems to get you more like people now talk about Son having a great season but no one's really talking about Salah having a great season anymore so it's a little bit weird if you know if you end strongly obviously it's in people's minds I think mm-hmm. how good Salah was in the first few months has kind of been forgotten actually just because He's tailed off the way he has since Afcon. It's I almost like until Christmas he was he was the best player in the world. And yeah, I don't think there was much of a doubt about it. Yeah, I, I, I was going to say it's almost like it's really difficult to be consistently good over thirty-eight games. 
Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but, but for some reason, and people always want to be negative and criticised, right? Like that's the that's the standard that these players are yeah. up to. Just it, it just doesn't yeah. work like that. He can't be player of the year. He had five bad games. Thirty-eight. <laughs> like okay. <laughs> um, I'm actually going to go for Kevin De Bruyne though. Yeah, I mean, yeah, that's a good case. I mean, I strongly disagree with you, but yeah. <laughs> your I just let. You, you, you could have easily gone for Salah as well. I think there's no difference between the two. I'm I'm just going to go for De Bruyne to Pippet. Um, manager of the year, we'll go with you, Lewis. Oh, I could have many an argument about this. I think I'm going to I'm going to go with what I think of the of the options in my head. The the one that's the most controversial. Um, incredibly, it's the guy that won the league, <laughs> Pep Guardiola, because he doesn't seem to get much credit. Everyone's like, oh, yeah. it's really expensive. Oh, oh, loads of money. But yeah, well, Liverpool have got. Alisson and Van Dijk and Alexander-Arnold and Robertson and Matip had a great season. They've got Thiago and Fabinho. They've got, like, basically, you know, not even got to the front three. They've basically got the best player in the world for, like, seven different positions. And Pep Guardiola's <laughs> beating them to the league again. Like, without a striker, again. Uh, I, yeah. I don't know. I think it's... We're so used to Pep Guardiola's teams completely dominating... Um, and we're so used to talking about how much money Manchester City have, which they undoubtedly do. But I still don't think there's a manager on the planet that gets the number of points that he got this season with with Manchester City, and that deserves a hell of a lot more credit than he gets. Podrick? Uh, I'm going to say another one who he had money to spend, but I mean, he still had to get results, and uh, I'll say Eddie Howe because, I mean, the I mean, Newcastle were dead and buried, I think, when Steve Bruce left. Mm. don't think many people gave them much of a chance of getting out of it. And, uh, yeah, the turnaround. I mean, I know they spent in January, but they'd improved under him before then. And it's not just that, he's improved. The guys like John Joe Shelby looking like really good players again. Like Fabian Scher, I think people wanted him out the door or been quite happy to see him leave. And he's just turned him into the player that he was or when he looked so impressive before. So... It's not just the guys he's brought in and the, the form that he's turned around, but he's gotten the best out of players who looked finished. So I'll say him, but I think, uh, I know he didn't have a full season, but the work Conte did as well probably deserves a, a special mention. Yeah, I think I probably have to agree with Lewis on the Pep Guardiola, although I will give a shout out for the position they're in for Thomas Frank. Yeah. I think that their their form has been really poor towards the back end of the season in the last couple of weeks, and they've still comfortably survived the drop in their first season in the Premier League. I think that's a massive ask. I I do fear for second season syndrome, but I think they've been unbelievable. Um, yeah, so Thomas you Frank. Can't argue with like if, if someone did pick him out, I don't think you'd be able to like really argue with him. And he yeah. balances it with cheerleading as well. That's really impressive. <laughs> My God, there is no manager in the league that likes to get that crowd whipped up. <laughs> Quite like Tommy Frank. <laughs> uh, we'll go on to best signing now, Lewis. Oh me again! Oh God, I've forgotten who I wrote. You, I remember. Uh, you, you know wrote. what? Actually, I don't think this has been a vintage year for signings, uh, particularly. Um, and I like the one that stood out to me as being just solidly, reliably brilliant every single time he's been on the pitch is uh, Tommy Yasu at Arsenal. Mm. Um, it, it's a long time since Arsenal have just seen a defender that. Arsenal fans have seen a defender that they can just like rely on like you know he's not going to let you down there's not going to be a moment of head loss um, mm. I think it's like two points per game with him and one 1.4 points per game without him this season I mean two points per game 
you're looking at 76 points over the course of a season which is comfortably get you into the Champions League in mm. any year so yeah I think it was a massive blow for Arsenal to lose Tommy Asu for a few months uh, at the start of the year after he'd been so just excellent like not without ever being flashy goals assists there wasn't that much of that it was just defensively very 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 good in every single game and yeah it was definitely missed when he was out and I don't think there's anyone else that really stands out no one came into the league and scored like 20 goals or anything this year so I'd go for him what what do you think is his best position in the future oh right back definitely I think um, yeah I think he could play centre back as well yeah uh, but, but I think he's a really just dependable solid right back and as long as you've got a winger in front of him who you know like Bukayo Saka this season who doesn't need that much help from the right back to, to draw players away and can still you know beat one or two men on his own and create things than to have a defender who just like locks the wing down and lets the winger get on with his business at the other end is just really really valuable Podrick who are you going for? Uh, I think you could have picked quite a lot from Arsenal alone last summer I think like Lewis said Tommy Ash was amazing Ben White's had a good season Odegaard if he counts as a new signing but I would guess he does but to be fair, and I criticised them as well, I think for all the stick that came Arsenal's way for spending the money they did on Aaron Ramsdale, I think he's been really, really good this season. So I would go for him, but largely because I think of the kind of derision that came his way when the signing mm. was made, and he's really proved a lot of people wrong. But I think if Luis Diaz or Kulisevsky had been signed um, in the summer as opposed to in the winter window you could be having a different conversation then maybe it was the two of those in the second half of the season were absolutely incredible yeah actually I'm going to go with two uh, January signings I am going to go with Kulisewski because I think his impact is is absolutely insane to not only improve a team Spurs has run to fourth to be one of the most important players in the team at such a young age in the new league as well um, eight assists five goals and just 14 starts um, but also Bruno Guimaraes at Newcastle. Yeah, yeah, he oozes quality. For for a team threatened a relegation to get a player like him in, some real quality on the ball mixed with, you know, being up for the fight as well of a relegation battle. In a new country, um, you don't get many Brazilians growing up dreaming of playing in the cold northern, <laughs> northern winters in Newcastle. So props to him for joining in January. I think he's been unbelievable. He's definitely one that will rise up sort of with Newcastle like he won't be left behind the more successful Newcastle get if they're a Champions League team in a couple of years I still think he starts in midfield for them alongside think, John Joe Shelby <laughs> maybe maybe but I think Gimaraj is that good uh, the worst signing I'll go first this time another January signing Deli Ali. Oh, I forgot that he actually moved anywhere yeah honestly and I, I don't like saying it because you know former Tottenham whatnot. He just, in terms of, if we're talking about big impacts being made from signings, this is the complete opposite. Just nothing. Absolutely nothing. Uh, he was all right, apparently, in the match um, uh, against Palace where they turned it around, but that's, that's, that's about it. What do you think, Padre? Uh Aaron Ramsey. Oh, no, <laughs> sorry, sorry, it's the wrong, wrong podcast. <laughs> um, I think for, wait, he has been bad though, Ramsey. Oh yeah, he's, he's been poor. But I guess for for what was spent on them, I find it hard to. Sp- and 
knowing the quality that they've had before, it's tough to kind of split between uh, Sancho and Lukaku for me, but the two of them looked like they were going to be uh, lights can out. You, can you pick one so I can have one of my answers? Um, <laughs> Pick Lukaku, but I mean, Lukaku. that's because Lewis got a gun to my head. <laughs> um, yeah, like they, they were the two. I was hoping Podrick could just say one of them, and then I was going to pick the other one. Um, Sorry. Like you say, the money that's involved in those two transfers and the the money and the, the hope of what that player would bring. Like Sancho was supposed to be this player that you, you know, this winger, beat a man, create chances. That United had lacked for a few years and they finished second last season and I think they signed Jaden Sancho thinking Jaden Sancho help us win the league and I think Chelsea bought Romelu Lukaku thinking the exact same thing about yeah. him and I I don't think it's I don't think it's curtains for either of them I think next season at least one of them will come good and, and have a very very good season my money would be on Sancho with a new manager um, but both of them for this season it's huge huge disappointments compared to the fanfare and the expectations when they signed for them well speaking of that then would it be a wee bit harsh to say Jack Grealish as the worst yes thing? would it yeah, yeah. I thought so. <laughs> but, I mean he's not the player he was at Villa he's not as fun yeah, to watch he does have the same role in the squad side. yeah you're right too harsh too harsh <laughs> sorry I take it back I'd, I'd also go I'd, you, don't, you don't really throw a shout out to bad signings but Leon Bailey has yeah, failed, failed to hit the ground running at Aston Villa. Uh, finally, though, we'll go for the big prediction for next season. I know it's very early; we're literally one day after the season finishing. But what is your big prediction? It could be anything for a player, a team, whatever you want. The referee, go for it, Lewis. Um, am I allowed to just be a cop out and say that my big prediction is something mad will happen? <laughs> I've no idea what. <laughs> no, like, no way. No way. With, like with the World Cup in the middle of the season, I think someone mad is going to get in the relegation battle or get yeah. into Europe when you don't expect it. Um, now, if the if if that's way too vague, which I accept it is, <laughs> <laughs> then, uh, then uh, I think Man United will finish third, and I don't think many people have Man United to finish third after the season they've just had. But I rate Eric Ten Hag really, really highly. Um, I imagine that they will spend a lot of money this summer to yeah. to do some long overdue improvements to the squad, but particularly in midfield. Uh, just mentioned Sancho there, and I think he'll get a lot more out of Sancho than than either Solskjaer or Rangnick managed this season. So I will have United to finish third behind you-know-who as the top two next season, which means there's one Champions League place left for Chelsea, Arsenal and Tottenham, which... You know, is uh, going to leave two clubs at least very, very disappointed. Podrick? I'm going to go bold prediction. If Conte stays, Spurs will win the league. There you go, Matt. That's my wee gift to you. I'm glad you said it and not me. <laughs> well, you weren't actually going to say it, were you? I'm not glad anyone said it. No, I wasn't going to say it, but I, I, I think they'll do better than this season. My big one, though, actually kind of follows on from Lewis. I think Chelsea are going to drop out. Um, of the league? I feel like that. <laughs> No, not of the league, of the top four. I think there's there's been some worrying signs towards the back end of this season and I'm still unclear whether or not they're going to be able to sign players this summer, right? Oh yeah, that's that's also, yeah. That's a bit up and in the air. If they, even if they can, like with Rudiger and Christensen leaving, that's they've got to do a big rebuild at the back. Yeah, and yeah, exactly. And as well, would you, if you have offers from Chelsea or elsewhere and a lot of uncertainty and stuff going around... 
know. Yeah. As as Piliqueta getting on a bit, so is Alonso, so is Thiago Silva. I haven't been convinced by Malang Sarr either. Christensen and Rudiger leaving, like you say. I I worry for uh, I don't worry for Chelsea, but I think they'll drop out the top four, and who knows, maybe even European places altogether. But that does bring us to the end of this podcast and the end of the Premier League season. I guess we'll have to see how the summer plays out. All these transfers, all the ins and outs and the money being spent. And uh, we'll reconvene at the beginning of next season, along with myself and the rest of the guys. And of course, Dan as well. We didn't even throw a shout out to Dan and Joel. I wonder if they'll be talking. Maybe not. Uh, Maybe they'll just... a few days. Yeah, we'll give them a few days, see if they're on uh, on good terms. Um, but yeah, that is all from us for now. And for this season, of course, you can always email in um, with well, any of your suggestions for next season's podcast. The address is podcast at onefootball.com. That is all we have time for. Thanks for joining us for this season. Hope you enjoyed everything. And uh, yeah, we'll speak again in a few months' time. Bye.